You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, I want to start this morning by telling you the story of uh, where I've drawn the title for this series from, and it's actually a story about the very fruitful 19th century Chicago-based evangelist and pastor, D.L. Moody. Now, there's this story that goes that one day, Moody went to the home of a man who had attended one of his meetings, and he had expressed interest in Moody's message. And so upon arriving at this man's home, Moody was led into a parlor and invited to sit down next to this roaring fire. And so these two men sat, and they kind of shared pleasantries for just a few moments. And then Moody's host proceeded to present this case for why he did not believe that it was necessary for a Christian to participate in community in a local church. And so he had what I would refer to as a just Jesus and me philosophy. Don't need the church. Don't really need other Christians. It's enough, like, I just need my Bible and me and Jesus, and I'm good. And so he presented one justification after another, to which D.L. Moody sat and just quietly listened without responding. And when the man had finished everything he had to say, Moody remained silent, which strikes me as kind of curious, because my response would be like, all right, well, you're done, now let me present some counter-arguments to maybe help shape the way that you're thinking about this a little bit. But that's not what Moody did. Instead, he reached over and he grabbed the fire poker and he drew out a single flaming coal, and then he just set it on the stone hearth. And then Moody and this man watched in silence as the coal slowly dimmed and eventually grew cold and burnt out, sitting next to but not in the fire. And then after just a few moments of silence, the man looked up and said, Mr. Moody, you have made your point. Now on the off chance that you're not picking up on his point, here it is. Faith fizzles without what we would call formative friendship, which is the language that we use for biblical community. Our faith, just like that coal, if taken out of the context of formative friendship or biblical community, our faith fizzles. You and I were not designed to thrive spiritually in isolation from a very particular type of relationship. There's an excellent book called Life Together in Christ by a woman named Ruth Halley Barton. She's a teacher, spiritual director, ministry leader, and her book informs so much of what we're going to cover in this series. But in that book, she argues that two of the most overpromised and underdelivered aspects of church are community and spiritual transformation, which is a real bummer. Because what we're told is the church provides us a place or a people to which we can belong. Yet many of us, especially post-COVID, long for a deeper and different connection than what we've experienced. Furthermore, we're told that if we participate in church, that we are going to be transformed. But a, a survey by the Barna Group found that 46% of self-identified Christians say their life has not changed at all as a result of going to church. Which I don't mean to laugh, that's just so depressing that I don't know what to do other than laugh about, I mean, it's just so, so sad, because what are we doing if we're not accomplishing these two core things? See, all this means one of two things for us. 
either, number one, we actually expect something from being a part of a church that is unrealistic, or number two, the way we're practicing what we call community isn't delivering on what we desire. And and I can tell you from my own experience, the problem is not the promise of community, and the problem is not the promise of transformation. The problem is the process by which we have pursued both of those things. And so to that end, today marks the start of a new journey for our church. It's going to be a patient one on which we invite Jesus to help lead us into a shared vision, shared language, and shared commitment to a type of spiritual uh, friendship that forms us in the image of Jesus. And like all shared journeys, we have to start by understanding our goal. And so my message this morning is just simply titled, The Goal of Formative Friendship. We want to talk about what the true goal, what Jesus' goal for biblical community actually is. And so to that end, we're going to be this morning in Mark chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or an app that you like to read on, go to Mark chapter 3. (coughs) We're going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15. And let me just set these verses up for you a little bit. At this point uh, in the story that we're going to see today, Jesus is early on in his ministry. He has so far been baptized by John the Baptist. He spent 40 days of solitude in the desert, and then he immediately came out and began to turn heads with his teaching. And the primary thing that was drawing attention was the spiritual authority with which he was reframing the Mosaic law. He never diminished its significance, but he continued to reset everyone's understanding of it as it continued to be taken out of context and used in ways that God never intended it to. In addition, he was liberating the spiritually oppressed, he was healing the sick, and he was calling a very diverse group of people to himself. And Mark chapter 3 reveals the culmination of this calling out and Jesus' goal for this small but growing community of disciples. So look with me at Mark chapter 3 and listen to these three verses. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, right off the bat, there are a couple of things that are very different at play here than what would have been culturally normative. The first is, uh, first century Jewish, in first century Jewish culture, rabbis actually did not summon, to use the word that is used here of Jesus, they didn't summon disciples to themselves. The disciple chose the rabbi in the same way that, say, a student might choose a college that they want to attend. But here, Mark records Jesus going up into the mountains, which is very reminiscent of the way the Old Testament records Moses going up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. But here it's Jesus and he summons those that he wanted to serve as his disciples. Furthermore, disciples tended to choose their rabbi for a very specific reason. It was all about the Torah. They were drawn to a way that a particular rabbi would teach and live the Torah. And so they saw that rabbi as a conduit of sorts through which they could learn to more effectively master the Torah for themselves. But Jesus did not specifically call people to the Torah. In a way that no other rabbi would have in his day, Jesus called people to himself. In verse 14, it specifically says he appointed 12. 
But what's interesting is in the original Greek, it actually translates a little bit differently, and it says, he made 12. Now, the lesson in that very subtle difference in language is this. Jesus summons us to himself in order to form us. Jesus summons us to form us. That's an important, albeit subtle, difference for us to really think about because so much of the popular evangelical gospel is some version of come to Jesus and be saved from sin and hell. But when we listen to the message of Jesus, when we pay attention to what's happening in these verses, the message of Jesus was far more come to me and be formed into what I created you to be. And the way that he did that forming really, really matters. Because notice that before Jesus enlisted the 12 in any specific work to do, before they were sent, they were summoned for the specific reason, the text says, to be with Jesus. New Testament scholar James Edward comments on this, writing, discipleship is a relationship before it is a task, a who before a what. The relationship with Jesus was the proverbial sun around which their relationships with one another orbited. And that's important for us to pay attention to. Community did not form around their natural affection for one another, nor around their shared hobbies. Their community with one another formed around their shared relationship with Jesus and specifically what he was forming in them. And that becomes really evident for us when we pay attention to just how diverse this group was. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen. We don't know everything about every disciple in these 12, but those four we know were fishermen. Simon uh, was a zealot, which essentially means that he was a Jewish nationalist uh, and saw politics and sometimes even uh, rebellion as a way of being able to put Israel back into a position of power. So that's different than being a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector, which as we've discussed, would have meant that he was pretty well hated for his job. And so the point is that apart from Jesus, many of them would have had no reason to be in relationship with one another. In fact, the truth is apart from relationship with Jesus, some of them would have been enemies. But with Jesus at the center, even the most diverse group of people become a spiritual family. And you know, every time I'm read about how different these first disciples were from one another, I almost always think about my own friendship with Pastor Tyler. Most of you know this. This is my favorite picture of him, by the way. Just (laughs) photobombing one mediocre picture I'm trying to get with my wife at Disney World. Uh, Tyler and I met, for those of you that don't know, in 1995, which even as I said and look around the room, I'm like, whew, were some of you not born? (laughs) Uh, He was in eighth grade, I was in ninth grade, and most people that uh, we went to high school with would have looked at us and been like, how are these two friends? Now, the longer we've been friends, the more we've developed some shared interests, but for years, we've said that apart from Jesus, we have almost nothing in common. Um, For instance, I've been a husband now for almost 18 years, and I'm a dad to three kids, and he's single. So right off the bat, we live very different lives in that. Um, I love music. Pastor Tyler probably would not recognize even three of the top 40 songs that are in circulation right now. Um, I love to read. Pastor Tyler's an avid learner, but I cannot overemphasize how much he hates reading. Uh, He loves, if you know him, you know this is true, he loves apps. 
that help him automate every aspect of his life. And to his great disappointment and irritation, I end up deleting almost every app he tells me to download because I'm just content to like use my hands to turn on my own light switch. <laughs> now, I mean, literally, he's out of town this weekend, and Ava had a birthday party with all her girlfriends over, and so me and the boys went and stayed at his condo. And I walked in, and I, it was dark, and I was like, well, I guess this is how this goes. <laughs> There's even light switches on the wall, and I was like, I don't have the app. I don't know how this is going to work. But all joking aside, he and I are very different people. But what we have always shared in common, even as we were kids, in fact, is the very reason, the very reason our friendship even began in the first place was we had a shared commitment to relationship with Jesus and specifically serving him together. And that shared essence is the same thing that we find in Jesus' first disciples. And so the fact that Jesus summons us in order to form us teaches us something about both what formative friendship is not and what it is. And so we understand this. Let's, let's start with what formative friendship is not. Okay, I'll give you three things that formative friendship is not. First of all, Formative friendship is not marked by time. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. You can spend hours on end with a person and not have a friendship that is intended to form Christ in you. I think we all know this is true. Like, I remember I had these two friends in high school. They were both older than I was. Their names were Dallas and John. And I spent so much time with these guys. But listen, all all we did is listen to Tupac and, and 90s R&B together, literally, while cruising up and down 8th Street in Dallas's Chevy Beretta, okay? That was the exclusivity of our relationship together. And that time, I got to tell you, it did not make me more like Jesus. In fact, it just gave me a bunch of memories by which to be embarrassed now that I'm an adult. <laughs> so the point is, time alone isn't necessarily formative in our lives. Another thing would be that formative friendship is not marked by affinity, Now, affinity is defined as a spontaneous or natural liking or sympathy for someone or something. And I think that even just based on the little amount of information I just told you about the 12, that nothing about them speaks to affinity. In fact, they were intensely diverse. A couple of them were brothers. A few of them perhaps might have been friends. But I don't think anyone would have put money on a few fishermen a Jewish nationalist, and a tax collector being formed together by Jesus in a way that literally changed the world. Now, additionally, you know the church at Philippi, which is the church that Jesus wrote the book of Philippians to? You know that church started with a rich lady who had a home big enough for the church to meet in. So it was a rich lady. It was a young girl who was a demon-possessed fortune teller. (laughs) You can't make this up. You think our church is weird. Come on. And then a former jailer who Paul led to Christ. That's how that church started, with those three people. I'm not sure how the three of them could have even had a meetup together. But somehow, because Jesus sat at the center of their relationship, they were formed in a way that they became one of the healthiest churches on record in the New Testament. And so my point is just that affinity alone isn't necessarily formative. And then lastly, formative friendship is not marked by just conversation, okay? Some some people have what we might affectionately refer to as the gift of gab, meaning that they can just sit and 
together and talk for hours on end, and, and some people love that, and that's great. This is in no way a condemnation of conversation. But, like, people get together and talk about all kinds of stuff. People get together and talk about books. I love books. I like to talk about books. People like to talk about movies and music, politics, sports, even theology. But you can talk about those things and not necessarily have the intent and then the experience be one of being formed in the image of Christ together just because you talked for a long time. I mean, my goodness, Post Malone and Joe Rogan got high and recorded a four-hour-long podcast together. Four hours! Didn't edit any of it, just posted the whole insane meandering, and I'm here to tell you, no one came out of that living more like Jesus. Even listening to it, I think I got a secondhand high through my stereo. It was insane. So conversation alone... Even conversation about supposedly spiritual things alone isn't necessarily formative. See, the truth is, it is time spent in a specific way and a shared commitment to Jesus and a particular type of conversation that Jesus uses to make us more and more like him. So we've kind of covered what formative friendship is not, Now let's spend just a second talking about what it is. It's not just time, it's not just affinity, it's not just conversation. So here's what formative friendship is. When we use that language, this is what we're talking about. Formative friendship is men and women living in the open together for the shared purpose of growing in Christ-likeness. That's what we're trying to figure out how to accomplish in our church. Men and women living in the open together for the shared purpose of growing in Christ-likeness. Now, there's two parts of that that I really want to emphasize. The first is the necessity of us choosing to live in the open together. Formative friendship invites us to come out of hiding. We all hide. Humanity has been hiding from God, from themselves, from one another since the very beginning of time. And formative friendship invites us out of that. We can't hide from God. We can't hide from ourselves. We can't hide from one another if we're going to be the people that God designed us to be and Christ died for us to become. And so together we learn to position our lives in a way where where we become more sensitive to paying attention not only to what is happening with our behavior, but also with our wounds, paying attention to what's happening with our feelings and our beliefs, because it's from that, those places that all of our behavior actually flows. So, first, it's necessary that we live in the open together. And then secondly, there's this shared purpose of growing in Christ-likeness. The type of friendships we want to build here, that is the shared goal. Jesus is what draws us together. And our desire to be formed in his image. So it isn't just about having friends in general. It isn't just about being less lonely It isn't about just having something to do on the weekends. Those can all be happy byproducts, but the shared purpose of formative friendship is to grow in Christ-likeness. Together, to become a little bit more Jesus-like due to the very nature of our friendships with one another. And for that to happen, we have to have a shared vision. We're moving, we have the same intent when we get together, we're moving in the same direction. We have to have shared language so that we can communicate with one another about it, and a shared commitment to actually pursuing these types of relationships. And that is everything that we're going to be after through this series that we'll be in for the next month and a half or so. 
But to start, I want to conclude our time uh, with a question that I really want to invite you to spend some time sitting with this week. And that question is this. What is your goal for being part of a church? Think about that for a second. What is your goal for being part of a church? And don't, don't, don't rush that question, and as a result, answer the way that you think that you should answer it. Sit with it long enough to understand your true goal for being part of a church. I mean, the truth is, like, some of us, we may have never even thought about it. Maybe like me, you were just raised in church, never even crossed your mind, what, what is my goal for even doing this, which is what I do? So what is your goal for being part of a church? Because here's the thing, we, we all have a goal. We all have a purpose beneath everything that we do. The problem is, so often our goals go completely unexamined. They are not chosen with intention. What they often are is this sort of unconscious reaction to something else. And so I want you to really take some time this week and examine your true goal. Because the, the reason that your answer to that question matters so much is that sustaining relationship with one another demands alignment between your goal and our goal. Our, our goal is to build a small army of men and women living in the open together for the shared purpose of growing in Christ-likeness. We want to be with Jesus together in a way that makes us more like him. And if that isn't your goal, you're not going to experience resonance with so much of who we are and so much of what we do. Instead, you might actually end up resisting so much of what God may be inviting you to, even here. And so I want to invite you on this journey of moving toward a shared vision, language, and commitment to what we call formative friendship. And even as you hear some of this language of living in the open, not hiding from others, it would be okay and understandable if you feel a little resistant if you feel maybe a little uncertain about that, even anxious about what that would entail. It's okay and normal to feel all of that. But what we know for sure is that our faith will inevitably fizzle without formative friendship. And so let's commit to explore everything that God has for us together. Why don't you pray with me? Take just a brief time of reflection and then we'll do some Q&A. Father, we do thank you that you have created us for deep and meaningful relationship with you and with one another. And Lord, you know how hard that is to build. It doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen without effort. And especially if, if any of us find ourselves in a season of weariness or fatigue, it can be even harder. And like the man in the story at the beginning with Moody, some of us, just feel inclined to just have it be us and you. Because people make life hard. But Lord, we know that this is what you designed us for. And for a couple of thousand years, you've been helping people overcome the difficulty, fear, the challenges, the differences, in order to experience formative friendship with one another. And so we ask that you would help us in the exact same way. Lord, would you draw us in to deeper relationship with you, deeper relationship with our, even ourselves, 
and deeper relationship with one another. And through that, we pray that you would form us more and more in the image of your son, Jesus. We pray this in your good name.